Hello there. It is Nurse Mo, you guys, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. Today, we are on episode 92, and we will be talking about placental abruption versus placenta previa. So before we hop into that, as usual, let's take a moment to give a listener shout out to Yanina, who says... Hey, Nurse Mo, I am currently working on my prereqs for nursing school. I stumbled upon your podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I'm so happy I did. I have downloaded them all and listen every morning when I'm drinking my coffee and while I commute to work. Thank you for the thoughtful way you put your episodes together. I feel so prepared for what lies ahead. Thanks to you. I would just want to say thanks right back to you, Yanina. Your kind words mean the world to me. And anyone who submits a review has a really good shot at being on one of the listener shout outs. So if you guys want to do that, just go to wherever you get your podcast fix, subscribe to the podcast, rate and review. I very much appreciate it. And I take all of your feedback to heart. And I use what you say to help keep improving the website and the podcast. Okay, so today we are talking about placental abruption and placenta previa. So I'm going to butcher the other name for placental abruption, which is abruptio placente. Sounds very Italian, doesn't it? Um, You may hear it called that, um, and the common vernacular is placental abruption. So you might see it and hear it both ways. So these are two closely related placenta disorders that are really easy to mix up, even though they have very distinct pathways and signs and symptoms, treatments and interventions. So to prepare you for your NCLEX examination, for your nursing school exams, and your clinicals, it's important that you understand the key differences between these two and the nursing interventions for each one. So first, let's talk about placental abruption or abruptio placente. And the key point, the key thing to know about this is that it occurs in a placenta that was normally implanted. So the placenta was normally implanted and now it's having a problem. It's an abrupt problem, okay? So abruptions are classified from a grade of zero to three based on the extent of that abruption. So A grade zero abruption, basically this patient probably has no symptoms and the abruption was only discovered after the placenta was delivered, basically. It involves less than 10% of that placental surface being detached. So we're talking about degrees of detachment from the uterine wall with the abruption. A grade one abruption is about 10 to 20% of the placenta has detached from the uterine wall. And this grade will involve a small amount of bleeding. Vaginal bleeding most likely could be internal. And there are no signs of fetal distress present. Mom likely does not have any low blood pressure issues. She could be having some uterine contractions or maybe not. So that's a grade one abruption. A grade 
two abruption, and that occurs at about uh, 20 to 50% detachment. That involves a mild to moderate amount of bleeding that could be internal or could be external, so it could be hidden bleeding, and the fetus may be showing signs of distress as measured by that fetal heart rate monitoring that they do in the OB environment. Mom will be having contractions with this grade 2 abruption and is typically stable as far as her hemodynamics go. Her blood pressure is okay. She's perfusing okay. Mom's probably stable. Now, a grade 3 abruption is 50% or more of the placenta has detached from the uterine wall. And with this, we have moderate to severe vaginal or internal bleeding with a fetal demise. So mom is hemodynamically unstable with this type of abruption. She has unrelenting, severe uterine contractions called tetany. They just don't let up. And she often has disseminated disseminated intravascular coagulation or DIC. And that is typically present, not always, but typically present with those higher grade abruptions. And if you don't know what that is yet, that's okay. DIC is a coagulation disorder that involves a systemic um, clotting and use up all your clotting factors so then you're bleeding everywhere. So um, that would actually be, I'm going to write myself a note right now to do an episode on DIC because it's really interesting and you'll see it um, a lot in your critical care environments. So again, placental abruption or abruptio placentae is a placenta that was normally implanted and has now detached from the uterine wall. And how much it has detached Um, tells us what grade we're at and how severe the symptoms for mom. So grade zero, about 10% detachment, no symptoms, baby and mom are fine. Grade one abruption is about 10 to 20%, could be a little bit of bleeding, baby's okay, mom might have some contractions, but her blood pressure is good. Grade two abruption, that's around 20 to 50% detachment. Mild to moderate bleeding. Again, that bleeding could be internal or external. Mom is having contractions. Her blood pressure could be a little bit low, but she's still stable. And then a grade three abruption is at that 50% or more separation or detachment. Mom's got moderate to severe bleeding. Again, internal or external. Mom is unstable hemodynamically and the baby has died, okay? The contractions are severe and unrelenting called tetany, and DIC is often present in coordination with the grade 3 abruption. So how do we assess for the presence or assess the mom that is having that placental abruption? So this woman is typically experiencing um, a sudden onset of symptoms, you know, unless it's that grade zero where there are no symptoms, but the symptoms will be of sudden onset. Easy to remember because abrupt is in the name, right? And these symptoms typically include, like we talked about with the different grades, bleeding, That bleeding can be internal or external, Um, pain, low blood pressure, hypotension, a tender uterus that is firm or even hard, depending on, you know, how the the tetany, if that's present and what the contractions are like. It typically occurs after about 20 weeks gestation and is actually a leading cause of maternal death. So it's very serious. 
If you were to look at some lab studies on a mom having an abruptio placente, you would see that the hemoglobin and hematocrit are probably reduced thanks to that bleeding, especially in those higher grade abruptions. And again, that coagulation studies could show that DIC is present. A Kleinhauer-Betke test could be done to assess for fetal blood in the maternal circulation, though studies show that it does have a poor sensitivity for diagnosing the abruption. So what patients would be at risk for a placental abruption? So moms that smoke or use cocaine could be at risk. These both cause vasoconstriction. Moms with gestational hypertension or chronic hypertension would be at higher risk. Moms that have premature rupture of membranes, that PROM, that puts them at higher risk. Any mom who's got a traumatic injury to the abdomen, so motor vehicle accident, falls, um, any kind of trauma, especially to the abdomen, would definitely be at higher risk. And then moms pregnant with multiples, twins, triplets, twins, triplets, etc. That's a bit of a tongue twister. Okay, so what are we going to do? What are the treatments for a placental abruption? So the treatment that the MD chooses will probably be based on the severity of that abruption. So if it's mild and mom is near her date, they may induce an attempt of vaginal delivery. If the abruption is moderate to severe, then they most likely will do a C-section. Of course, they're going to check for any coagulopathies, any bleeding disorders before they do surgery and possibly correct those first. And then mom may also need to receive some um, blood transfusion, some packed red blood cells to maintain a hematocrit at an optimal level, um, maybe around 30% or better, and IV fluids to also keep the blood volume up. And then um, those coagulation tests obviously will be done and then those issues addressed. So what are the interventions as the nurse for a placental abruption? So you'll be drawing labs or having the lab, you know, coordinating with the lab to come draw them. Include, uh, make sure you ask for type and cross right away if you anticipate the mom is going to need a blood transfusion so that when you're drawing, you can just get all of those at the same time. You want to make sure mom has a large bore IV, preferably two, um, just to be on the safe side, and that would be for fluid volume resuscitation and blood transfusions as needed. Mom will get continuous fetal monitoring so that you can watch for any signs of fetal distress. You'll keep an eye on mom's blood pressure because that hypotension can occur. Heart rate, remember heart rate typically goes up when blood pressure goes low, but think about your mom who's taking a beta blocker. Is her heart rate necessarily going to increase much to compensate for a low blood pressure? Very possibly the answer to that is no. Keep an eye on heart rate as well as blood pressure. Also watch mom's respiratory rate, urine output. Urine output tells us a lot about organ perfusion. And if mom's hypotensive, then the kidneys don't get enough perfusion and then urine output drops. So urine output is a great way to monitor for hemodynamic stability. You'll watch her skin signs, especially if you suspect a lot of bleeding um, and this, you know, some Howler, cyanosis, any kind of signs like that would be worrisome for you. Watch mom's level of consciousness and for any, any signs of shock or hemodynamic instability. 
You will definitely be monitoring the blood loss, the amount of blood loss, um, keeping track of that. Sometimes, again, the bleeding can be internal, but monitor for any external bleeding that you can. You will assess uterine tone, monitor mom's contractions. She's going to be on bed rest, so you'll be uh, managing that. And she'll also be NPO because they may need to do an emergency section, and we want to keep mom NPO just in case. And if baby is premature, mom is going to get that betamethasone medication, and that helps speed up lung development in the baby so that if they're born preterm, they can be a little bit less at risk for all the lung problems that can happen with the premature infant. So that is your basic idea of placental abruption or abruptio placentae. So again, the highlights are that it's abrupt, it's sudden onset, it's in a placenta that was implanted normally and has now detached from the uterine wall. The grade of the abruption is based on how much detachment has occurred. And with that, you have a different degree of symptoms that you will see in regards to the amount of bleeding, the contractions, and fetal distress, and mom's hemodynamic stability. And then the other thing to remember is that DIC, that coagulation disorder, is often present with higher grade abruptions. Okay, so now let's talk about placenta previa. This is a condition in which the placenta is abnormally implanted from the very beginning. It's either very near or completely covering the cervix. So it's classified based on where the placenta is implanted. So in a total placenta previa, that placenta completely covers the cervix. In a partial placenta previa, the placenta is partially covering the cervix. And then marginal placenta previa, also called low-lying, is the placenta is just near the cervix. It's still very low, but it's not covering the cervix, okay? So let's talk about who is at risk for a placenta previa. So moms at advanced maternal age, which is above age 35 typically, which is not old, but apparently it's advanced for maternal age. Moms who have had a prior delivery are at higher risk for placenta previa. Any mom who's had a surgery of the uterus, basically a cesarean section, a DNC, fibroid removals, surgeries like that that can cause scar tissue can put the mom at risk for a placenta previa. Moms who, again, smoke cigarettes or use cocaine, that um, is going to put her at higher risk. Any mom with a history of placenta accreta is going to be higher risk, as well as moms carrying multiples. And of course, if you have a history of placenta previa, you're at higher risk for having it in the future. So when we're assessing the mom with placenta previa, this mom will likely have not as obvious symptoms. It's considered more of a hidden or sneaky disorder than the uh, abruption is. Pain is typically not present. Of course, if mom's in labor, she'll have pain with that, but pain is typically not present in placenta previa, and the uterus is going to be soft, though fundal height could be higher than expected, okay? That's why you'll be measuring that fundus. 
this. There will be bright red vaginal bleeding, and the fetus is typically not in any distress. However, when you are assessing that fetal position, you will notice that there's no engagement because the cervix is in the way, or the placenta is in the way, and the presentation is often abnormal, like a breach or um, a transverse positioning. So if you were to look at the lab tests of a mom with placenta previa, you could be seeing decreased hemoglobin and hematocrit here because of the bleeding. And again, that Clyhauer-Bethke test could be done to assess for fetal blood in the circulation. And you would look at coagulation studies. You want to see, you know, anytime mom is bleeding, you want to check coagulation studies as well. So how are we treating a placenta previa? So moms diagnosed with placenta previa will also be on strict bed rest. Maybe they'll have bathroom privileges, maybe not. They'll definitely be on bed rest and likely have a cesarean. Um, it's just due to the position of that placenta. Obviously, if it's a total where the placenta is covering the cervix, a vaginal delivery is just impossible because the placenta is in the way. So likely to get a cesarean delivery here. Um, if baby's immature and they're going to be delivering right away, again, betamethasone will be given to mom, and that's for the lung development of baby. And... Um, Again, the labs that the MD might order are the CBC, you know, the RH, coagulation studies, all those things that you would get for a mom that's about to deliver or bleeding. And the overall goal with treatment is try to get mom as close to her due date as possible. So the nursing interventions that you're going to do will be, <clears throat> excuse me, man managing the mom on bed rest, you know, if that means um, helping her with her ADLs and using bedpans instead of getting up to the commode, you'll be doing those things. Monitor for the amount of bleeding that is present. You're assessing the fundal height and for contractions that could be occurring. Now, the baby, again, could be positioned abnormally, so you may be doing Leopold maneuvers to get baby into a better position. You might need to give packed red blood cells. You might need to give IV fluids if mom's losing a lot of blood and is dropping her blood pressure. And you would also avoid inserting anything vaginally not even performing vaginal assessments due to that heightened risk of bleeding. You wouldn't be doing any transvaginal um, fetal monitoring. It would all be external monitoring. So um, again, let's just stop top to bottom real quick highlights of placenta previa. That's the placenta has implanted abnormally. It's low. It's either partially or completely covering the cervix or low down next to the cervix. We are going to have a mom who's probably not in pain, baby's doing fine, uterus is soft, but she's got bright red vaginal bleeding with a baby that's probably, very possibly in an abnormal position. And then we're going to keep mom on bed rest, try to get her close to her due date. We're going to be checking for blood loss. We're going to be checking coagulation studies giving betamethasone if indicated, and possibly doing a C-section because, because of the location of the placenta, a vaginal delivery just may not even be possible. Okay, so before we hop into our pod quiz on this topic, I like to look at conditions that are closely related 
side by side, just completely side by side. So first we talked about placental abruption, and then we talked about placenta previa. But there's a lot of signs and symptoms and tidbits here and there that are a little confusing when you're first learning it. So I find that it's helpful to look at one and then the other in isolation. So let's talk about the overview of each so you can really see how they're different. So placental abruption is that premature separation of a normally implanted placenta, whereas placenta previa is a placenta that's improperly implanted and it's low, okay? So you see the difference? Placental abruption, normally implanted. Placental previa, abnormally implanted. Placental abruption, it's the premature separation. With placenta previa, it's the position and where it's implanted that makes it problematic. Placental abruption is classified based on the severity of that disruption. And placenta previa is classified based on where the placenta is. Okay, so do you guys see how that works, how you can kind of look back and forth? And now you're really starting to cement the differences in your head. So the risk factors for an abruption are smoking, cocaine use, high blood pressure, premature rupture of membranes, that history of a previous abruption, abdominal trauma, and DIC could be present and mom could be pregnant with multiple babies. Previa risk factors are multiparity, advanced maternal age, placenta accreta, I'm probably not saying that right by the way, prior surgery or C-section, and a, a recent spontaneous abortion or a large placenta. So those are some of the risk factors for placenta previa, and I believe smoking and cocaine use as well for that. And then for placenta abruption, the signs and symptoms. So this part, pay very careful attention. If you're multitasking, come back. Signs and symptoms for abruption, it's that sudden onset. Internal or external bleeding, typically dark red blood, severe and steady pain with a firm uterus and fetal distress. Okay, that's the main things. With a placenta previa, the signs and symptoms are sneaky onset, external bleeding, that's bright red, no pain, soft uterus, no signs of fetal distress. The medical treatment for a placental abruption is likely an emergency section. If it's severe, you're going to be giving... um, packed red blood cells, fluids, possibly correcting any coagulopathies before that, embedded the beta-methasone for mom if baby's premature. And then for placenta previa, we're really going to try to get mom to her due date by keeping her on bed rest. If that doesn't work, she may need a C-section. It depends on where the placenta is implanted. Again, she'll also need packed cells and fluids if bleeding and blood volume are low. And also beta-methasone if baby is premature. For placenta abruption, you're going to be keeping mom on the bed rest, doing the continuous fetal monitoring and monitoring mom's vital signs. You'll be measuring abdominal girth hourly and you're doing that to watch for internal bleeding, assessing the fundus height and amount of blood loss. And then for the previa, you're also keeping mom on bed rest. You're also monitoring vital signs and the baby and the blood loss and definitely avoiding any vaginal exams. 
the complications of a placental abruption are, again, I'm going to butcher this because I don't speak French. Why are so many words in French? Cuvillier uterus, DIC, fetal demise, hemorrhage, and shock. So really bad things can happen. And then with placenta previa, it's that preterm birth. Uh, birth defects can occur if the placenta is really abnormally implanted. And also mom could have hemorrhage and shock as well. So that complication I mentioned a moment ago, that cuvillaire uterus, which I probably am totally mispronouncing, it's also known as a uteroplacental apoplexy, and this is a complication of placental abruption where that abruption is so severe and the bleeding is so severe that the bleeding penetrates um, through the uterus and into the peritoneal cavity. So that's a very serious complication and... Um, of the placental abruption as well. Okay, so let's do a little bit of pod quiz now. So if you guys don't know what pod quiz is, I ask a question, I pause for a little bit, giving you a moment to answer. And then in this way, it's kind of like doing flashcards. I call it flashcards for your ears. So which one of these disorders, abruption or previa, has the problem is a sudden premature separation of a normally implanted placenta. So that is placental abruption. Excellent. Which disorder has bleeding that can be internal or external? That is placental abruption. Excellent. Which disorder has severe and steady pain with a firm uterus? That is placental abruption. Very good. Which disorder has the placenta covering the cervix? That is a placenta previa. That would be like a total uh, classification of a placenta previa. Very good. Which one has fetal distress? That is placental abruption. Which one has um, the baby may be in a breech position? Most, you know, will often be in an abnormal position. That is placenta previa. Very good. You guys are doing great. Which one would have the uterus soft and relaxed? That is also placenta previa. Very good. What is the medication that we're going to give to mom if baby is being delivered prematurely for um, protection of the baby's lungs? That is beta-methasone. You guys are so smart. Um, let's see. What else can we ask about these things? What are you going, why are you going to avoid vaginal exams in a placenta previa? Because it's, if the placenta is right there, you could really exacerbate the bleeding if you're doing vaginal exams on mom. And then what coagulation disorder is often associated with high-grade abruptions? That is DIC. And what does DIC stand for? It stands for Disseminated Intravascular Coagulation. Very, very good. And I think you guys got like this, 
the key points of both of these. I think you're doing absolutely fantastic. And I'm just going to look at my little cheat sheet here. And I don't have any specific announcements for today. So again, I'm just going to invite you to come join the Facebook group if you haven't yet. It's called Thriving nursing students. So I will link to it, but you can just go to Facebook and search for it. Search for thriving nursing students. Students. There's a few um, questions to answer to prove you're a real person and not a robot that's trying to scam people for a um, prince who needs help with his banking. I can't remember. I was trying to remember last week what the um, that scam used to be and if it is even still going on, but it's just to make sure that you're a real person. So please answer the questions or it will be declined and you'll have to re-request to join and then come hang out with us. This is the best, most fabulous group on Facebook for nursing students. I try really hard to keep the environment positive and productive for you guys. So um, I guess that's it for today. I cannot wait to come back and talk to you next week because next week it's all about the student who might be really struggling or even failing and just some things that you can maybe try to turn things around. So if you're failing or struggling a lot or even thinking about dropping out because the struggle is that intense, I definitely want you to tune in next week, okay? So I will see you guys then. Thank you so much for spending your precious free time with me. Have a fantastic week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.